0: Second Timothy chapter number four. Keep in mind that when Paul wrote Second Timothy, he was in a Roman prison. He is in a dark dungeon, as far as he knows, awaiting his execution. and what he says speaks volumes about his character. Somebody suggested that when we write, you know, someone's biography that, We ought to start with their death rather than their birth. After all, you know, we don't have anything really to do with the way our life begins, but we have a lot to do with the way our life ends. And it's so very important whenever we think about the Apostle Paul, a man that God used so greatly, and now he's coming down to the end of the road... And he writes beginning in verse 6, I wish I had time to read the entire chapter, but in verse 6 he says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, that is a life well lived. And those verses have been special to me for many, many years now, but they become more and more precious to me with every passing year. And I can't possibly say all the things I would like to say about those two verses in just one sermon, so I just want to hit the highlights this morning and consider some things that will help us, hopefully, come down to the end of our journey, having finished the work that God gives us to do. When I was a boy, uh, just entering into the first grade, mom and dad bought a house. It was their first house. $3,000, little house. Uh, and uh, so... That's where I lived up until uh, up until uh, time that Bev and I got married and after i had graduated. But next door the fellow that built that house had already started another house some years even before this one was built and there was an empty foundation there that on, on that lot and uh, he'd just uh, run out of money or time or energy, and he had never finished it. And that just empty foundation was there years. I, I didn't mind. It was a great place for uh, me to play. The you know, weeds had grown up. You always find a snake there if you wanted a snake. And, you know, us boys, we were always looking for snakes back then. Uh, not today, but back then. and uh, It's kind of dangerous. I still have a large scar on my left knee where I fell on that foundation and sliced it open, and they called out old Doc Wakeman. That was our family doctor back then, and back then if you needed a doctor, they made house visits. And so they stretched me out in the living room, and old Doc Wakeman came. He's the man that had delivered me, and he came out to the house and stitched uh, stitched me up and... uh, Of course, you know, mom and dad, typical parents, don't go back over in that lot. You're going to hurt yourself again. And of course, I didn't listen, but uh, you know, it was a great place for me to play, but it was an eyesore to everybody else uh, uh, and uh, didn't serve any useful purpose whatsoever, just an old empty foundation. And I've thought of that so many times over the years because it reminds me of the lives of so many people who have failed to finish the work that God gave them to do. And seeing that unfinished work is a sad sight. In fact, there are several examples to be found in the Bible. If we had time, we could go all the way back to the book of Judges. It tells us about 500 years of history wherein that Israel had failed to complete their work in possessing Canaan. Remember, God promised them this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give it to you. All you have to do is go in, face the challenge, take the land. It is yours to land flowing with milk and honey. Well, they went in and they partially obeyed in that they did enter the land. They divided up uh, the, you know, into 31 various kingdoms or defeated the 31 kingdoms and divided up the strongholds amongst themselves. But they allowed certain strongholds, pockets of opposition to stay in the land And as a result of that, that haunted that nation for all of those many years. As a result of the fact that they didn't finish the work God told them to do. He told them to possess the land. That meant all of the land. Don't leave anything undone. Go get it. It's all yours. Go get it. Take it. And they refused to do that. That's not the only example we can think about King Saul. God gave him uh, an assignment And uh, the assignment was to go in, you know, and to kill the enemy. Don't take any, don't take anything. And he came up with the bright idea that uh, it might be a profitable venture if he would, you know, keep some of the animals. After all, you know, uh, they use them for food or breeding or whatever. And so they kept some of the animals. In fact, he refused to kill the king. So he. Finally, he comes back supposedly after a great victory and the prophet inquired of him, did you do everything God told you to? Oh, yeah, we got it done, job done, no problem. And the prophet Samuel said, what what is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen I hear? Well, where, where are the sound of these animals coming from? Oh, well, that, yeah, that. God told you to not take anything and you have taken what belongs to God. And Saul lost his kingdom as a result of the fact that he didn't finish the work God gave him to do. And I can think about one of our heroes, Elijah, and how that he even failed for a while as a result of a wicked woman that sidetracked him. And over these 55 years of preaching now, I've watched people fail again and again to finish the work God gave them to do. Many of them started out well, but they failed to stay the course. And it's so, so sad to see people literally waste their life, because that's why we're here. We exist on this earth for the purpose of glorifying God through obedience to His Word. If we're not going to do that, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever for us to be alive. We'd be far better off in heaven, right? Even Paul said, to die, that well, that would be gain. That's no loss. It's, it's a wonderful gain. We'd be better off in heaven, but... He said, it's more needful for me to stay here. Why? Because he was needed. He had not completed the assignment that God had given him to do. And so I want to challenge you, whatever you do, that you don't fail where King Saul did and where Israel did and where millions of others have failed in not finishing the work that God gives you to do. On the other hand, there are examples of those who did finish the work that God gave them to do. And naturally, you know, the first person we think of is God himself. In the act of creation, it says in Genesis 2, 1, Thus the heavens of the earth were finished, and all the host of them. There are those that believe that the process of creation was something that evolved and there are those who call themselves christians who want to mix evolution with creation and it's total nonsense they say oh i believe god created everything but he just did it over a period of thousands or millions of years and he just that was the process well well i read my bible he they were all finished All of the host and everything was done. Job well done. God completed what He set out to do. Then we read about Moses. Exodus 40 and verse 16 says, Thus did Moses, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. That doesn't mean that Moses never failed in any way whatsoever. We all know that he did on occasion fail. When all was said and done, and he came down to the end of the road, it could be said that he did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And then Joshua steps on the scene. In Exodus, or in Joshua, verse number 11, it says, As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Boy, what a blessing it is for someone in a position of authority to be able to to be followed by someone that takes up the torch, takes up the banner, and continues on with the work. There's no greater blessing. Listen. Listen. Every pastor that cares anything whatsoever about the church isn't just concerned about the church as it is during his pastorate. He has a concern for what's going to happen to the church on later down the road. And I'll tell you what, whenever I look at this congregation and I think about the blessing that this church has been to Bev and I and I think about your commitment to the Lord that has been demonstrated time and time again. And I see what God is doing in raising up leaders and young people. And, and I see those that are older, that are established, that are pillars in the church. And uh, boy, I've I just got to tell you, I, I I don't have any worry whatsoever about that. God's going to... Keep on keeping on and doing what he's always done and blessing this church. And it's a blessing to me to know that. And that was the case with Moses and Joshua. Well, we come over to Nehemiah, and you know the great challenge that he faced in rebuilding the wall. But in chapter 6, verse 15, it says So the wall was finished. It wasn't easy. If you're familiar with the story, you know he faced a lot of opposition. It's not something that happened overnight, but he finished the wall just like God said. And of course, while we're thinking about examples, the best of all is Jesus. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So we see all of those wonderful examples of people that succeeded and the sad examples of people that failed. But today, I, wanna, I want you to think about our text. Because if anyone ever really truly aspired to be like Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. I believe that with all of my heart. He said in Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me... To live is Christ. That's just summing it all up for to me. It might not be that, you know, for others, he would say. Others might have a different idea of what their life is about. But for me, he said, to me, for me to live, it's Christ. That's what it is all about. So so being the great scholar that Paul was, make no mistake about it, He was very familiar with all of these examples that I've already used here. He knows about those who failed. He knows about those who succeeded. And he's determined in his heart that he wants to finish well. In fact, he was so determined to finish well that he feared that he might not do so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he speaks about that. He he likens his his work to running a race. And he talks about how that he is striving to win this race that God had prepared for him. And he wanted to run according to the rules and according to God's will. And in verse 27, he expresses his fear that he might become a castaway. He did not mean by that that God was going to cast him away in the sense that he was going to lose his salvation, that God was going to banish him from his presence forevermore. He didn't want to be a castaway in the sense of being set on the shelf to where he was living but not of any use to God. And there are a lot of folks in that condition today. They're very much alive. They have the same amount of energy that they've always had. They have opportunities. They have ability. They could be using their life to serve God, but they, well, they've been set on the shelf. They have put themselves in a position that even God cannot use them until some things are corrected in their life. Paul had seen others fail, and he didn't want to do the same. You know, he he understood well it's not enough to just get off to a good start. That's important, but it's not enough. And it's not enough just to stay in the race for a while. He wanted to come to the end with no unfinished business, and that is exactly what he did. And here in our text we read this tremendous testimony. Notice Paul did not say... I want to finish. He said, I have finished. Big difference. And he didn't say, I am finished. He said, I have finished my course. And he didn't say, I've had fun. He said, I've fought a good fight. And every Christian ought to have that same determination to finish the work that God has given them to do. And hopefully I can say something this morning that'll help you do just that, but you need to remember these things. To finish that work, you have to, number one, start. You have to start. It's one thing to talk about, it's another thing to start. You say, Well, I don't know where to start. First Corinthians chapter number three speaks about the foundation. And it says the only foundation is what? Christ. That's the starting point right there. Afterwards, we can build with hay, wood, and stubble, which is worthless. Or we can build with the silver and the gold and the precious stone. And those things that will withstand the fire. Those things that will still be with us when we check out of this world. But you have to start Think about what a precious gift that God's given you, the gift of life. He could have taken your life years ago, but He didn't. You're alive today. Not only has He given you the gift of life, but He's given to you many gifts, gifts that others have never enjoyed. You've been able to do things other people have never been able to do, people in this world that have been deprived of the things that we often take for granted. Why would God be so good to us at that point in our life? It's because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not a matter of you being good or bad, whether or not God's good to you. God is good to all, He is a God of grace. But there has to be that starting point, and that is a proper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something else you need to remember. Not only do we have to start, but we have to serve in stages. Because we can't finish the work in just one giant step. It doesn't work that way. We finish the work by completing one project after another. We, several of these men here this morning in the auditorium have been involved in building programs not only at church, but some of them, that's their livelihood. They, that's what they do for a living. They build buildings. And they could speak about this matter a whole lot better than I could. But it starts down there with that good foundation. And after that, you go by stage. You don't put the roof on first. That wouldn't make any sense at all. And when it comes to us serving God, we take these steps one after another, after another, after another, until finally our last assignment. Remember, Paul is writing this, and I want you to think about all of the travels of Paul. And when he ends up there in prison, he still sees himself as involved in ministry. He's not sitting there sucking his thumb, moaning and complaining or calling for for his lawyer. He, he sees it as a ministry. He's ministering to others at the same time that he's being punished for, for wrongdoing that he never even committed. And our lives are in stages. And I have to tell you sometimes, you know, it's more difficult at some stages than others in other words that's the third thing about this matter is we have to struggle I mean if we're going to finish it's going there's going to be a struggle because serving God isn't easy Somewhere or another we get it in our mind you know that oh we don't have to sacrifice like those early Christians did what are you talking about the price to be a disciple is exactly the same today as it was back then. And it might be back then that you were tarred and feathered, or it might be that you yourself was crucified upside down or persecuted in some horrible way, but there's still a cost involved today. Even though the laws of our land protect us from things like that, It costs you everything to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said, unless a man forsake all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That means you can't do everything that you want to do. You can't do everything others expect you to do. You have to have one primary, main interest in life, and that is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, that is a—that's a struggle. R. G. Lee, one of—and you've heard me mention R. G. Lee before, brother, the greatest orator that uh, since Spurgeon, I suppose. And I still remember the day of sitting there listening to R. G. Lee preach and shaking his hand and looking in the face of that dear man of God that he had used so great over so many years. And R.G. Lee said, if I took a step west every time I felt like resigning the ministry, I'd be out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean somewhere. Even a man like that struggled with completing the work that God gave him to do. And it's a struggle for all of us, folks. Don't expect it to be easy. Remember the Lord said, count the cost. Count the cost. You need to think about what you're getting into because God's not playing around. He's serious. And then, if we're going to finish our work, we have to stay at it. Stay at it. That can be tough. Because if we're going to stay at it, we've got to think about several things. Number one, we've got to think about that our work involves both our both our conduct and our character. Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean that you're doing what God wants you to do the way He wants you to do because motive matters to God. Amen. Amen. Why we do what we do. And we might obey what God says by way of our conduct, our strict conduct, and yet our character not be as it ought to be. That's why God has set down certain standards for pastors and for deacons and said, look, if you're going to fill that office, these are the standards that you have to meet. In other words, the character has to match the conduct. And by the way, what God required for them, God desires for every Christian. So don't look at the don't look at the standards for a pastor and a deacon and say, Oh yeah, that's really expected of them, you know. They need to live up to that. Yeah, but so do you. You see, that that's there to be an example for everybody else. Our character matters because what somebody said we're the only Bible that some people ever read. And sometimes, you know, just by our conduct we we put Christ in a bad light and others rush to judgment about him and about Christians in general based upon the hypocrisy they see in our life. Let me remind you if we're going to stay at it, you've got to remember also that we're not in competition with each other. It's not a matter of whether you do what somebody else is doing or you do it better than they do or you do more than they do because we're not in competition. God has a specialized plan for each and every one of us and it's different for all of us. Faithfulness requires different things from different people. God doesn't expect these dear saints out here in a nursing home somewhere that's 90 years old and too feeble to get around. He doesn't expect them to do things that He might expect you and I to do. But they can be just as faithful by doing what they can where they are with what they've got. And whether you think of this analogy that Paul is using here as, as, as a race, which it very well fits that, or a fight he says i have fought a good fight it's all speaking about the same thing and that is the work the work that god has assigned us and it's exhausting and here is paul in prison still at it after all of these years That brings up another thing we need to remember that if we're going to finish the work, we have to survive. Now that might sound like what I've already mentioned here, but really it's different. When I talk about survive, I'm talking about the fact that as long as we are alive, we are in danger until we cross the finish line. Believe me, there are some that have fallen right at the very end. I mean, they made it, all of those years, and right near the end of their ministry, they fell. I, I I could name preachers that I knew, and some preachers that were very famous. I'm talking about Baptist preachers, independent Baptist preachers that had great ministries for many many years, and they come down to the twilight of their. Of their ministry, and all of a sudden, there was some moral collapse that absolutely ruined their ministry and left a blot, a stain upon the particular church where they ministered. So I'm telling you, this is a matter of survival. You are in danger. I'm in danger. Every minute of every day we are in danger because Satan is going to try to stop us from from finishing the work that God gave us to do. Now if we're going to survive, we need something else. We need to seek help. And in the first place we better look is God. We need to seek God's help because what God wants you to do is something that's far beyond your ability. I mean, to really succeed at the ministry God has for you is going to require God's help. Remember, Paul said, it's God that works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You can't do it on your own. I was scared to death when God called me to preach. I just just knew that either God had made a mistake or I had made a mistake. And I really believe that I was mistaken. I thought, this just can't be real. It can't be true. But it was true, and God made that perfectly clear to me. And I couldn't do it without His help. But listen, not only do we need to seek help from God, we need to seek help from others. Look here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, notice in verse 9, He says to Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Why? Man, you're in prison. Your ministry's over. Why would you want him to waste a trip? Well, Demas hath forsaken me. Look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me. For the ministry. Let me tell you folks. We need each other. You, you, you need the help of others. I wrote an article here some time ago. The saints beside me. The saints beside me. And of course naturally the main one is my wife. That has been there all these 55 years. Never wavered. I can't thank God enough for her. But whenever I think about folks in this congregation that have been such a help to to me and to my family personally and to this church, it just, just leaves me in awe to think that people would make the sacrifices they've made and do the things that they've done And be so supportive of someone that is so imperfect. And to care so much about this church. That they're willing to do whatever as it were that God would have them to do. We've got people like that in this church. And they are desperately needed. Because without them, listen, without people like that, we'd never get the job done. Since day one... The first day that God called me to preach, I've been depending not only on God, but on the saints of God. And I could name, name, old Brother Owsley and the neighbor next door and different ones. And that it was there when I surrendered to preach. And the neighbor next door said, Brother Stone, I can't do much, but I want to build you a bookcase. Boy, I started filling it up. Thank God for those who helped The Apostle Paul was dependent upon the help of these other men. Now there's one more thing that you need to do if you're going to finish the work, and that's this. You need to see the end. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, uh, we're not fortune tellers. We can't see the end. Well, in a way you're right, but in another way you're wrong. We need to see the end. We need to consider the outcome. And let me tell you, seeing the end in sight, can be a, it can be an emotional experience. Amen. That's why aging can be so difficult. It's a great struggle. I don't mind getting older. That doesn't matter to me at all. And, and I mean it when I say that I don't fear Death. And I sure mean it whenever I say that I look forward to heaven. But I'll tell you, I sure do fear failing. I don't want to finish the work. I don't want to be a success just so I can boast about it. I want to finish it because that's the job that God Mm -hmm. gave me to do. And that is more important than the number of years that I'm here upon this earth. My job is to be faithful one day at a time to the very end, but I need to, I need to be seen and thinking, as it were, knowing that there is, a, there is an end to this. You need to think about it. The night cometh when no man can work, Jesus said. Let me tell you, and it's God that decides when the end will come. I'll never forget, and I've seen more than one instance, but this particular one really got me. It was a a cop signing off for the last time when he retired after 37 years of service. And watching him do that with tears in his eyes. And at my age, I can sure understand what he must have been going through. Because every day I know that I'm one day closer to the end. When I say the end, I'm not talking about my demise. I'm talking about my departure and the end of the opportunity to serve God. We need to see the end. We need to think about it and understand that it's going to come when God says it's going to come whether we like it or not. But it's coming. And as you think about the end Never forget this that the best is yet to come. How is it that Paul could stay in the race? How could he continue to fight the fight? How could he succeed with so much opposition? He did so because he had his eyes on the prospect instead of the problems, he was looking ahead. Now, there's something I didn't tell you about that empty foundation. By the time that I was uh, about the s- sixth or seventh grade, there someone bought the lot, built a house on it. And we had some great neighbors during that time. I watched them do it, and those people were such a blessing to to my, my family, but the story doesn't end there. I would have never guessed, but a few years later, Bev and I, and Kathy and Debbie would be living in that house. That house. that where there was nothing all of those years but an old empty foundation, a lot that seemingly was good for nothing that was just an eyesore. That lot that I played on when I was a little boy, and now here, Bev and I are raising a family in that same house. I mention that just simply to say this, Folks, when we think about finishing the work that God gave us to do, we know there's coming an end to it, but what we don't know and cannot fully see is the fact that it's going to be glorious. Remember when Paul was going through all of this suffering, and he said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, because we all wonder how did he get through it, he said, he said, we faint not. We don't give up. We keep going. And he gives us the secret. If you want to call it a secret. He said he's not looking at the things which are, but the things which are to come. Amen. Amen. He said it's not the temporal things. It's the eternal things. That's what I'm looking at. And he lived every day with eternity in view. And every Christian here, let me tell you, if you're a Christian and striving to do the will of God, you mark it down. I know you're going through tough times, and it's hard right now, but the best is yet to come. It's going to get better. And if you're a Christian here, and you seemingly don't have a problem in the world... There's no pain in your body. There's just no problems. It's still going to be better. The best is yet to come. Kathy, here, here a while back, she asked me if I remembered an old story that I used to tell quite often about the richest man in the valley. I don't know how many of you heard the story. There's some different versions of it, but the point is the same. There was a poor man by the name of John who worked on the estate of the richest, richest, wealthiest man in the valley. And John worked for him for many years. John was a Christian. His employer wasn't. The rich man had no real concern about spiritual things. One night John had a dream and in the dream, it was so real, so vivid, that he began to actually believe it was going to happen. In the dream, God, was, God told him that the richest man in the valley was going to die before midnight the next day. The man couldn't sleep well that night. And he knew he had to say something to his boss, so he got up early the next morning he went over to the estate, spoke to his, spoke to his boss, and told him I've had a dream. And God has told me that the richest man in the valley is going to die before midnight tonight. Well, <laughs> that man, yeah, he didn't believe in stuff like that. He just kind of sloughed it off, and, you know, just didn't take it serious at all. At least that's the way it seemed till after John had left. And John explained that I just felt like I needed to tell you that. But after John left, he's got to thinking, what if, what if? And he called his chauffeur and had the chauffeur to take him to his doctor to get a complete physical checkup. And the doctor did the checkup and boy, he came out tip-top shape, everything's fine. You don't have any problems. But the rich man invited the doctor over for supper. Remember, the dream is the richest man in the valley is going to die tonight before midnight. And the doctor, knowing the man well, said, sure. And he went over for supper, but after he got there, the rich man just kept nagging him with Questions about every subject that he could think of and it went on and on. And every time the, every time the doctor would try to excuse himself and get up to leave, the, uh, the rich man would beg him to stay, stay just a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And finally he heard the clock strike 12. Uh, he could sigh now and take a deep breath. Everything was going to be all right now. That dream wasn't true after all. And so he showed the doctor the door and the doctor left. He'd only been gone just a little while when the doorbell rang. And the rich man answered the door and when he did, it was the oldest daughter of John who had worked for him all of these many years. Poor John. He said, Mama sent me over here to tell you Daddy just had a heart attack and died a while ago. You see, poor old John was really the richest man in the valley. And I mention that because every time I think about it, I think, dear God, I must be the richest man in Texas. And I would say that except for the fact that I'm not the richest man in Texas, in any sense of the word, because as Christians, we're all joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a child of God tonight, you are the richest man in Texas, the richest woman in Texas. And I mention that to let you know that we can make all of our plans, and nobody ever suspected that it would be John leaving the world so quickly. And one of these days, God is going to look down from the portals of heaven and say, ah, Look, listen carefully, and I'll be through, I promise. For some of you, the finish line, your work will be completed when you're still at a young age. I, I say that because it happens all of the time. Very dedicated Christians that are young. And all of a sudden, they're taken out of this world. Why? It's because their work was finished. That was, they completed the assignment that God gave them to do. That Sunday school class they taught, whatever it might have been. For others, for others, it might be a long ways off. And for some of us who's thinking that, man, I'm at the door, it's all but over, you know. I only got a day or two left. but you see we don't really know that do we you might be here another 10 or 20 years like it or not because God still has a work for you to do that's why I mentioned live in the light of eternity think about it every day that when it ends here the best is yet to come. Amen. And that ought to encourage you to never, never, ever give up. Amen. Don't you dare think about quitting. Amen. And you can say, oh, but Brother Stone, I, I failed you. Then get up. Amen. You're not a failure because you fail. You're a failure when you stay down. Amen. Get back on your feet and get in the fight. Amen. Let God use you. Let's stand together, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful opportunity to be able to serve you. And Lord, whether it's an opportunity where we're called to preach, whether we're allowed to teach a Sunday school class or minister by way of music or or whatever way, we thank you for that opportunity. There are folks here, elderly folks here, who serve you by taking other people to the hospital and the doctor appointments and all kinds of stuff like that. And what they're doing is just as important as what anybody else is doing. That's the work that you gave them to do, and we thank God for that privilege. Do something in our hearts today that would encourage each and every one to keep on keeping on. And Heavenly Father, for that man or woman, a boy or a girl that's never, never started, they've never, they've never placed their life on that firm foundation of Christ, I pray they'll do so this morning and trust Him as their Lord and Savior. For we pray and ask it all in His name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, you come. I have decided.